Intentionally Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kesselring. Episode 34 features the return of 24-7 recruiting analyst for the University of Minnesota and North Dakota State, Ryan Burns. Ryan discusses the prospects to look for in the upcoming 2020 class. He evaluates the 2019 classes that have recently been completed and also previews some of the position battles that are awaiting teams when spring ball opens in the coming weeks. Coaches, don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could leave us a review for us on iTunes to help show and grow our program with others. We will also have a new store launching on March 1st. To find out more about this, go to our store tab on igfootballcoach.com. Coaches, also be sure to check out the South Dakota Football Coaches Association Clinic hosted at South Dakota State from March 23rd through March 24th, which features keynote speakers such as Jerry Kill and Gene Chiswick. For more information on how you can attend this great event, go to www.sdhsca.org. This episode of Intentionally Grounded is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital wrist coaches. Trusted at practice by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send scout cards and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawn cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go to no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at www.goroute.com. That is G-O-R-O-U-T.com. And email at sales at goroute.com or call 866-777-1448. Episode 9 of Season 2 of Intentionally Grounded with Ryan Burns starts now. Well, we're back with Ryan Burns for another episode here. Ryan, uh, we had you on a year ago, and at that time, the University of Minnesota had just put together their best recruiting class of the Rivals era. Where do the Gophers stand today compared to a year ago and also on a national level? Well, when you look at these two classes back-to-back, essentially the the first two classes that P.J. Fleck had a full recruiting cycle to recruit in terms of where it ranks on our 24-7 sports uh, recruiting rankings, it's the best back-to-back classes in the last 25 years in terms of when you look at this class as a whole, where it compares nationally and where it compares in the Big Ten. I think the average kind of recruiting ranking for this class was, if you take out the long snapper and the kicker that Minnesota put on scholarship, probably around an 87, which is, is pretty dang good, especially compared to where Tracy Clays was recruiting, where Jerry Kale was recruiting before he had to retire. Um, it's where Minnesota wants to be. And when you look at where this class kind of stacks up nationally, it's about the top 40 class, which, you know, some folks are expecting top 25, top 30. Well, you know, for Minnesota to really kind of take that next step, they're going to have to produce on the field. Now, now you, I, I mean, Minnesota fans are well aware of how Minnesota ended the season, winning three of the last four games in pretty dominating fashion, um, having three different, in those three wins, three different completely different offenses for defensive coordinator Joe Rossi to go against. You had to go against a spread team like Purdue that was white hot coming into that game. You had to go into Madison and win for the first time in 25 years against a power running game that has been unmatched throughout the last handful of years. Then you had to go against the Georgia Tech team that's a triple option. So, Joe Rossi being able to kind of put three different key wins on his resume there to end 2018 helps, but you're going to have to win eight, nine games next year 
for you to kind of really take that next step. So while Minnesota did sign their best back-to-back classes, they really addressed some things on the defensive line, of which I think is the toughest position to recruit in all of college football just because supply and demand, there's always more demand than there is supply of good defensive linemen. But, again, you look at across the Big Ten. I mean, I'm looking at the 24-7 recruiting rankings right now. Minnesota has the 10th-ranked recruiting class in the Big Ten. Now, some are like, well, you know, PJ's not recruiting. What's he doing? (laughs) For me to kind of try to explain it, from like 4 to 11 is is very kind of what's your flavor, I guess I should say, because, you know, the years in the Big Ten for, you know, say the number four team, Nebraska, they have a top 25 class. They're the 24th team. Minnesota's the 40th team. And it's kind of at that range, you know, again, what kid was ranked in 86 versus an 89, different things like that. You're still three stars at the end of the day, but it's going to be all about how does Minnesota develop them. So I'm not really worried at all. Again, that 4 to 11 range is very much kind of whatever your flavor is. So in terms of where they're at compared to a year ago, they actually recruited a little bit better than their 2018 class, which was the best in the Internet era. Now, if you take out the specialists from this 2019 class, that would surpass that. But the reality is back-to-back classes, P.J. Fleck, has addressed things on the recruiting need front, and now it's going to be on his staff to develop these guys. Ryan, you you obviously cover the University of Minnesota, but you also cover NDSU. Um, what are some needs that both programs addressed in this 2019 class, and how have they shifted their focus really for 2020 going forward? Yeah, when you look at NDSU, they signed a full class of 25, even with the coaching changeover there with Chris Kleiman going to Kansas State. Matt Entz is elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach. It's something to where I think between Matt Entz and between uh, Chris Kleiman, they did a very good job addressing their needs. Now, you look at kind of the all-time commits in terms of the highest-rated recruits. Well, what Matt Entz and Chris Kleiman were able to do was, well, they were able to sign three of the top five recruits in the Internet era in terms of stars. They signed a kid from Illinois, a linebacker by the name of Luke Weirtz that had power five offers that had big 12 offers, getting him to turn down Kansas state and Oklahoma state to go play in the, in the, uh, excuse me, not in the summit league, but out at, at NDSU. I mean, that's a heck of a get. He's the top rated recruit in the internet era for them. I mean, you look at in state here from Minnesota wise, there was a kid from Buffalo by the name of Hunter Pontius, someone that I was able to see a few different times someone that I think has a ceiling of which um, they haven't had there in a couple of years since probably Joe Hag was there. A kid that's very athletic, six, six foot seven, 270 pounds. I believe he's the biggest high school hockey player in the state of Minnesota. As I wouldn't <laughs> want to see, I, I would probably be six ten on skates coming at me, uh, especially if, if I was going into the side there, uh, I'd be a little bit nervous about getting checked. But um, NDSU addressing things and where they really needed to do that was at the skill positions because they're losing bodies um, at wide receiver and in the secondary. Uh, you look at All-American for a couple different years in NDSU. Robbie Grimsley was Mr. Football in the state of Minnesota. They're going to be losing him. They're going to be losing their best receiver by the name of Darius Shepard, someone that was very productive for them. And as you look at them transitioning away now from the Easton Stick era, who's likely going to be an NFL draft pick here just in a couple months, it's going to be having a Minnesota flavor to it with Trey Lance being the presumed starter, someone that they were grooming this year to kind of take over the reins. They're just going to have to have some bodies to throw to. And they're also going to need some help in that secondary. So you look at kind of the numbers they brought in, they brought in seven different wide receivers and tight ends on scholarship 
in this 2019 class alone, which should tell you they're a little bit nervous about the immediate depth that they have there, and they want to make sure that they bring in all the talent they can. And then you look at in the, in the secondary, they also brought in five different defensive backs, uh, one being from Winona, Terrell Hall. I know someone that uh, people down there are very high on, think he's a very athletic 5'11 corner that maybe some bigger schools should have got in on. So NDSU-wise, I mean, they're trying to address where they know they don't have as much depth, and that's at the skill positions. And then you look at for Minnesota, defensive line stands out above all else or above the rest of their class, just because you look at what they did in the 2018 class. I think they brought in seven different offensive linemen. Uh, you've seen the immediate contributors last season in Curtis Dunlap starting in the bowl game, Daniel Falalele, the Australian Mountain holding it down at right tackle, uh, someone that is going to be a starter for the next two years before he heads off to the NFL. And then Curtis Dunlap's going to slide in at guard this year. Well, on the flip side of things, you look at what happened at defensive tackle for Minnesota. Um, they, they lost a JUCO transfer to medical issues in terms of Royal Silver started games for Minnesota. Gary Moore started a lot of games for Minnesota defensive tackle. And then O.J. Smith, their Alabama defensive tackle transfer, only stand, started a handful of games this year because of some concussion issues. Well, the rumor I had heard this offseason was he was going to have to be forced to retire because of those concussion issues. Well, he declares for the NFL draft in kind of a head-scratching move. But, uh, you know, if the young man thinks he can go cast checks somewhere, well, kind of teetering on that line between knowing I got about one concussion left before I got to shut down. Best of luck to him, I guess. So uh, <laughs> Minnesota brought in a lot of different defensive tackle bodies. Uh, a couple are already here this spring that if folks want to come out here in the next couple of weeks for an open practice and check them out, the two names that have you watch, one would be Keontae Schott, someone from a junior college in Iowa, Oklahoma offered. Um, I know there were a bunch of different teams trying to get in on him late. He did take some, Official visits elsewhere. Minnesota is able to get him. I love watching watching Keontae Shad's film because he is sensational with his hands. Just being able to disengage and then kind of swim by or club by or whatever he needs to do to get by that offensive lineman. I think you look at what's plagued Minnesota the last couple of years here since PJ Flex been here. It's been a pass rushing defensive tackle. I don't think that Minnesota's really gotten a lot from their defensive tackles the last couple of years, especially as a pass rusher. And that's where I think the Keontae Shock could come in, help right away. He's already here. And then I think the other big name for folks to watch this spring on the defensive tackle front would be Rashad Cheney, someone that was committed to Georgia his sophomore and junior year, was committed to Alabama all the way up to Halloween. And if there is going to be a place that I want to kind of pillage, that is going to be the Alabama defensive line commits, considering I don't know what their streak is, but seemingly they've put in multiple defensive linemen in the top 60 or top 100 picks into the NFL, like the last, last handful of years. So if you have a kid that was literally committed to Alabama of all places on the defensive line up until Halloween, I think you're doing something right. A kid that when his motor is always going, then you're going to be getting a heck of a player. So I think that what you look at Minnesota did on the defensive line front for a place that's so hard to recruit, because if you have any amount of quick twitch in your body, you're going to be extremely heavily recruited if you're 6'3", 280 pounds. And that's kind of what's different with P.J. Fleck recruiting is, whereas with Tracy Clays and Jerry Kill, you kind of had to take the 6'6", 215-pound kids. They're going to be projects because other schools don't want to develop those projects. They want the guys that are immediately ready right now. I mean, you look at what Minnesota was able to do on the defensive line. Keontae Shad is 6'3", 280 pounds. Rashad Chaney is 6'2", 280 pounds. Uh, they have a couple other defensive tackles that are coming in that are 6'1", 300 pounds. 
They're able to get a Notre Dame defensive tackle transfer uh, that's six foot four, 300 pounds. You don't have to spend 18, 24 months getting them into a meal plan, a nutrition plan, getting them in the weight room, trying to have them add good weight. You know, that's kind of the nice thing about this is while these was the highest rated defensive line class that Minnesota has signed in the internet era, they're also ready to probably contribute sooner rather than later. Ryan, in your opinion, overall, how much talent resides in Minnesota for the upcoming 2019 and 2020 classes? And if so, what are some of the areas or positions of strength in this upcoming class? I think this 2020 class has a chance to be one of the best we've seen since 2016. That was a year that Minnesota, I think, put 24, 25 different kids um, into Division One ranks in terms of not even at the FCS level, but just at the BCS level alone. I mean, you look at where Minnesota is at right now. I think the stat uh, that I looked up this past week was in this 2020 class right now, there are 10 different kids that have BCS offers, a.k.a. Power 5 offers already, and we're sitting here and it's not even March yet. And I mean, that's literally unheard of. Now, some, some of that is because the recruiting is getting so much more you kind of pushed forward with you know everybody trying to get out ahead of everybody else. But I also think that this 2020 class has a chance to be pretty, pretty good. I think it's going to be better than what we saw in terms of the senior class in this 2019. I mean, there's a bunch of different guys that you can kind of get into, but you know, I think we're going to do so here in a bit. But I, I just think that this 2020 class in terms of, it, you know, is it a little bit top heavy? It can be. I mean, Caden Johnson from Minnehaha Academy essentially has offers from whoever he wants offers from. He's a top 150 player. If Minnesota was going, if Minnesota is able to keep him, he's going to be their highest rated kid in state to sign since Carter Coughlin. You know, they really weren't able to get Quinn Carroll or uh, Bryce Benhart. Quinn Carroll wanted to go out and kind of forge his own legacy away from his father's legacy as a gopher. And then Bryce Benhart wanted to go play for Scott Frost and someone to where, um, you know, I think that Scott Frost and P.J. Fleck kind of have similar personalities in terms of their young guys that are outgoing, but he wanted to go away and he wanted to get away from, uh, you know, get away from his family of sorts and kind of forge his own place instead of being 40 minutes away from campus. Again, if you're P.J. Fleck, he had those kind of kids on campus 10 times or so, and they just wanted to get away from home. It is what it is, and they were able to keep some other guys home. And you look at this 2020 class already, Minnesota has two commits from one from Rosemont, Minnesota, from Jonathan Mann, a 6'3", 190-pound wide receiver that had SEC and Big Ten offers before he pulled the trigger on Minnesota almost a year ago already. And then Aaron Witt from Winona is someone that I know. Uh, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, and some other schools are going to come in and see in April and probably going to pull the trigger on. The question is going to be, if they pull the trigger, do they want to kind of, you know, from what I've heard from the Witt family, from Aaron himself, He's very solid to Minnesota, someone that is a legitimate six foot five with a lot of length. You know, he's only 235 pounds right now, but you kind of look at what Iowa has been successful at with their defensive linemen. You know, if Aaron Witt could become an Anthony Nelson of type, and for those who are like, who's Anthony Nelson? I encourage you to go rewatch the Gopher versus Iowa game this year where Anthony Nelson absolutely kicked the crap out of Sam Schluter at right tackle to the tune of three first half sacks, and it could have been five or six. If you can get Aaron Witt up to 265, 270 pounds with great strength, great balance, and that quick twitch, I mean, I think you can have a very productive Big Ten player. So this 2020 in-state class as a whole is something I'm excited about, something I'm excited to go out and see this spring, um, go to different camps, try to get these kids there, and then come camp season, 
it's going to be about these kids trying to earn that money in terms of getting that scholarship. But I think that this 2020 class is a, has a pretty good chance to surprise some people. Brian, with the, with the 2020 class, does the early signing period help or hurt Minnesota? And, you know, who does PJ really have to fight off on some of these in-state recruits? I know that, that like you said, it's very top heavy and he's got, some, I mean, some of the best schools in the country are after these kids. Um, but the, will the early signing period help them? Or, you know, if, if they can't get them signed at the early one, is that probably an indication they're not going to get them? Well, uh, I think the now that we've been through two early signing periods, I think that the memo has been if you have someone quote-unquote committed and they don't sign with you at the early signing date, they're not truly committed. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know that it necessarily hurts. Um, I think it helps them just because, especially in-state-wise, I tend to be of the opinion if you're a school like Minnesota, you want to be in early, um, especially to try and kind of help build that relationship. Because you look at this 2020 class. Yeah, we've talked about Caden Johnson, um, you know, a kid from Minnehaha Academy, can't be any more than 15, 20 minutes away from campus. But you look at all there's, you know, some of the other kids, especially in the northwest part of the state this year, it is a weird year up there in terms of they have some legitimate, I think, power five kids like a kid from Barnesville, Minnesota, by the name of Hunter Zenzen that already has an Iowa State offer. I expect Minnesota to really kind of dig their teeth in here this spring. I, you know, I'm a big fan of what he's potentially going to be able to do. I think he's twitchy enough at 6'3", 215. But it's a place like Barnesville, Minnesota, that I don't know when the last time was that was a school that put a D1 football player out there. Or you have someone from the Fargo-Moorhead area and Seth Anderson has a Kansas offer already. Or you look at someone like Mason Miller from Attaburup, a school out there in, in northwestern Minnesota as well, a six foot eight, two hundred and forty pound offensive tackle that can move pretty well. He's already got over a thousand points for his basketball team. I mean, it's something that these high school offensive line coaches really want to see nowadays is can you move? How agile are your feet? Do you have the coordination to do it? So I mean you, you kind of look across and it's like, yeah, Caden Johnson's gonna be tough to fight. I mean, you have all the Big Ten offers. Uh, I expect that Ohio State gets involved here very soon. Uh, you also have Jalen Suggs, of which I'm of the opinion Jalen Suggs is not going to play football in college. I know that I'm, in his mind he's still thinking about being a dual-sport athlete. I just don't understand why you would want to be playing football when you're a top-ten basketball player in the country. You see the kind of deals that are going on in the basketball side of things for guaranteed money, a lot less wear and tear on your body. Your ceiling is higher on basketball. You know, we'll see what he ends up doing. But, you know, I, I think that this 2020 class in terms of the early signing period, it helps. It helps these kids. It helps the schools. You know, if you're a kid that, you know, say that it's a reservation commitment where you're just committed there, you're not sure if you want to sign in December. I mean, if you have the film and the athletic measurables, you know, whether it's on track, whether it's at a camp to back up, you're going to see yourself become more highly recruited in January. I think a good example of that would be Kyle Atkinson, someone from Burnsville, Minnesota, was a defensive tackle. He didn't sign in the early signing period. And as you look at these schools trying to fill out their classes, he was someone that um, you know saw his recruitment elevated from he had a South Dakota offer. That's all he had, South Dakota. He goes into January. He takes official visits to UCLA and Rutgers. Now, he eventually decides that he wants to only go into track, but that's where you can see that, if you're not happy with your, you're potentially going to in December and you think you could be highly more highly recruited, you're going to have to bet on yourself. And maybe that pays off for you because 
I believe this, uh, the statistic we've seen here the first two signing periods is that probably 80 85% of Power 5 commitments sign. Well, you have that little chunk left, that 15%, where there's kind of schools. So say you're committed to South Dakota and uh, some other schools are coming in seeing who, well, who didn't sign? Well, the, the pool gets a lot, lot smaller. And so if you're a good player, you can potentially be recruited to a different level. But I think for Minnesota, the, the school as a whole, I think this early signing period really does help um, try to keep these 2020s in state. Ryan, who are some of the names uh, that football fans here in the state of Minnesota should expect the Gophers and maybe some other Division One teams to go after hard? And then who are some names that are kind of under the radar right now going into the next year's class? So when you look at this 2020 class so far, um, I think there's 25 kids as a whole that have been offered already, um, 10 of which have seen Power 5 offers come in. When you look at you know, who they've been recruiting for quite some time, you got to start with the Minnehaha kids, the Caden Johnson, the you know, outside linebacker. Ecker, six foot three, six foot four, very twitchy, has all the Big Ten offers that you want. Craig McDonald, a safety from that same school, a six foot two kid that has Wisconsin, Iowa, different offers there. Um, I even kind of consider Terry Lockett, uh, who is a Minnehaha receiver who transferred out of state and in state kid. He's got five, six Big Ten offers already. So you, you're looking at Minnesota and you're looking at Minnehaha Academy. I mean, if you're even able to keep two of these guys home, I mean, ideally you'd want to keep Caden Johnson in state. But if you're able to keep a Craig McDonald and a Terry Lockett convince him to come back to the state of Minnesota, I think you're doing something pretty good. But considering that Jonathan Mann and Aaron Witt are already two of the top five kids in Minnesota uh, for this 2020 class that they have locked down. Now, ideally, you'd want to lock down 80 percent, 75 percent of the top kids in the state every year because that 20, 25 percent that leaves, they just kind of want to get away. So in that instance, you can't really blame them. So. I also think that some kids that Minnesota is not, you know, hasn't offered yet, but they're recruiting that uh, folks should keep an eye on. I've already talked about a couple of them. It's not every day I come on a podcast to talk about Barnesville, Minnesota, just a place I'm not immensely <laughs> familiar with. Um, you know, some place that has been a very good, I think it's a two A or three A school out there out west. You don't have a kid like Hunter Zenzen out there very often. You know, that's a kid where if he played at an Eden Prairie or he played at a Lakeville North, I think he'd potentially have a lot more things going on for him. But you have him with an Iowa State offer. Uh, he's going to be visiting Iowa and Iowa State here in the next couple of weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa pulls the trigger on him. Minnesota's trying to get something set up with him there. And then some in-state offensive linemen that I think are worth talking about, one from St. Thomas Academy, um, one of a good friend of the program, a former Gopher coach running that program. But Tommy Brandt is someone that is six foot five, 260 pounds, was able to go against, unfortunately, and lose, but uh, to Owatonna in the state championship game, someone that has seen his recruitment really pick up here of Lake Kansas, another school, Les Miles, coming up into Minnesota with two different offers already. Offensive line is always going to be a position to where Minnesota can probably do some things in state. You have some guys like Tommy Brandt from St. Thomas Academy, Jalen Travis from De La Salle. You're thinking to yourself, Travis De La Salle, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he's got a couple of brothers that played at the Division One basketball level, including one at Kentucky right now, uh, who was also pretty dang good at Stanford. He has a brother that went to Harvard, was a very good player for Tommy Amaker out there. Well, Jalen kind of got a different body type than both brothers. So you know that the bloodline's there in terms of athleticism. I think Jalen Travis is going to be an absolute name to watch. But And then I think the final name that my one of my favorite outstate kind of names to kind of talk about is a kid from Hutchinson. 
by the name of Russell Corgan, someone that the coaches out there have told me anyway, this kid is going to be a power five tight end. Uh, someone that has, I think, three different Dakota offers already. Iowa has had him on campus. Minnesota's working him, getting him back on campus. He visited this past fall. But I just see a kid on tape that's six foot four, athletic, and he plays freaking angry. And that's what I want in the tight end is more times than not, 75% of the time you're going to be kind of that glorified sixth offensive lineman trying to you know, seal the edge or get to the second level to get your hands on a linebacker. And Corrigan is 6'4", athletic and angry. Yeah, sign me up for that in terms of a kid that is going to get highly recruited here in the next upcoming months. But camp season is going to be a big time for him. Ryan, this time of year usually is not probably the best to make headlines as recruiting is is done for your 19 class and spring ball probably hasn't started for most people yet. Um, but the year has been in the headlines quite a bit, especially in the last week or so. Um, give us your thoughts and some comments on, you know, what coach kill said and you know, what it means for the U of M and coach flat going forward. <laughs> yeah, Jerry kill. Uh, people need to stop putting a microphone in front of his face. Um, because <laughs> You know, I've talked about it a few different places this week, um, Go for Illustrated being one of them. But I just think that Jerry is at a point right now where he needs to look in the mirror and figure out what kind of man he wants to be. Because this is the third time in two years he's kind of unprovoked, just gone off on PJ. When I think in reality he's not necessarily mad at PJ, he's mad at Athletic Director Mark Coyle, he's mad at President Eric Taylor. Why would I say that? Well, it's because... Mark Coyle decided after a 9-1 season at Minnesota, of which we hadn't seen in quite some time, to kind of pull the trigger on Jerry Kill's guys and Tracy Clays and his staff. And I think understandably so, you can see why he did that, because of the off-the-field issues that were going on at the time. Ten different players and even a, a potential Minnesota recruit were involved in an off-the-field investigation that involved potentially a, you know, a rape that in, in involved four different players on the current team at the time getting expelled. And then you saw Tracy Clays putting out a tweet that, again, he poorly worded it. And so what he thought he was saying wasn't what the public was seeing. Even still, how do you not have someone look at your tweet? And especially in this day and age of social media where everything can blow up so quickly to kind of be like, Tracy, what do you, what do you mean here? There were just a lot of things behind the scenes that off the field wise, Minnesota and Tracy Clays and that staff, wasn't taken care of. They weren't doing well in recruiting. Their recruiting ranking at the time, I think, was late 60s, early 70s. They were going against teams like Louisiana Tech, um, Southern Miss, where P.J. Fleck is much more regularly. You know, if you don't think the star rankings mean anything, go look at these kids' offer list. I think, especially the defensive line class as a whole, if, you, if you're listening to this, and like, well, stars don't matter. I don't care that you said defensive line-wise was their best class in 20 years. I believe the stat was they had 58, 58 Power 5 offers between the five of them. I mean, you're going against Iowa and Wisconsin on each one of these kids. So I just think that Jerry Kill, while he continues to take shots at P.J. Fleck, you know, P.J. Fleck had the statement that came out during the basketball game this week. I believe he was interviewed by Mike Grimm, taking the high road and all this, saying, you know, it's, it's too bad Jerry feels like this. I just think that Jerry is just a bitter old man, and I think that while he continues to take shots at P.J. Fleck's character, even taking a, a shot at P.J. Fleck's personal life, of which, you know, kind of involving his first wife, when I think 
I think both of you guys would agree, you know, losing a child with someone is not an easy deal. And then being with them each and every day, you know, I can't imagine how tough that would be. And then obviously we're all grown adults and we change. And to kind of see, yeah, P.J. Fleck has changed. He's, been, he's a lot different than he was five years ago at Western Michigan. Heck, I, I mean, I know P.J. Fleck, you know, from the encounters I've had with him, he's a much different person in the two and a half years since he's been here. But I think what we're seeing is, you know, Jerry Kill kind of put on a facade at Minnesota with some of the different things he said. And I think we're seeing Jerry Kill's true colors come out now where, to be quite honest, he looks like a bitter old man. And especially with Jerry Kill is the athletic director at Southern Illinois now. Like you are a grown man in an athletic, you know, you're an athletic director now at a Division One institution. And all you're doing now when someone gives you a mic is bashing Minnesota and bashing P.J. Fleck grow up i mean just move on grow up move on it's been two three years now jerry grow up move on become a better man as we approach spring ball this upcoming season one of the big things that the university of minnesota is dealing with is going to be their quarterback position battle and let's get your thoughts on it what do you think the upcoming position battle at quarterback is going to look like when it's all said and done that's a great question. I think that maybe this is not exactly the uh, popular take, but I think Zach Anikstead from the people I've talked with uh, close to the Gopher program probably has the foot, um, you know, has a foothold on that position right now in, in terms of being ahead of Tanner Morgan. I think that may surprise some people because Tanner started the final seven games of the year for Minnesota, even when Zach Anikstead got healthy to those uh, in that Wisconsin game and that Georgia Tech game, Minnesota stuck with Tanner Morgan. But I think folks forget. Zach Anikstead won the job out of camp, and then he had to relinquish the job because, you know, we had that emergency room visit at halftime against uh, Nebraska. He had a concussion. He was dealing with some internal bleeding. I mean, that's something you mess with, especially with an 18-, 19-year-old fragile young man who you don't want to kind of get into that David Carr syndrome that you saw for the Houston Texans where he got battered around so much he was just a completely different player. Well, Zach Anikstead won the job out of camp. And the biggest issue with Zach right now is his deep ball did not translate from practice to the games. Um, that was one of the big reasons why Zach Anix had won the job out of camp is his deep ball accuracy was much, much better than Tanner Morgan's out of camp. And then the lights came on on Saturdays, and Zach Anix said was uh, not very accurate, I think would be the way to put it. Zach Anix said, among all Big Ten quarterbacks last year, had the highest ADOT. For those of you who don't know what ADOT is, it's not, the um, average depth of target. So that means that Zach Anix had pushed the ball down the field on average more than any other Big Ten quarterback, thinking, I'm doing this in practice, I'm hitting at a high accuracy, but I just couldn't find it in games. And I know that's one of the big things that offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Kirk Chirac is going to be working with him with is let's get your mechanics fundamentally sound, make sure your footwork's there so that when the lights do come on on Saturdays, we can see the deep ball accuracy kind of improve. But I think it's going to be a two-horse race to start between Tanner Morgan and Zach Anikstead, but that's not saying that a Jacob Clark or, you know, I'm not necessarily counting a Cole Kramer to come in and try to compete right away. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Jacob Clark, who from uh, Rockwall, Texas, had a bunch of offers, high-traded high school quarterback to sign with Minnesota, since Moses Alapate did out of Bloomington Jefferson. You know, would I be surprised to see Jacob Clark kind of go on that Zach Anikstead path where Zach Anikstead this time last year was the third string quarterback. And he wasn't really necessarily a part of the race 
until he earned reps throughout the spring, goes out and has a very good spring game while the JUCO quarterback at the time, Victor Amantes, did not. So he's then in the second position, then he goes out and wins it in fall camp. I think that where Minnesota's at in the quarterback room this spring compared to last spring, they're more talented, they're more experienced, but I'm not necessarily counting on Jacob Clark to come in. And then with Cole Kramer from Eden Prairie High School, I mean, I think I'm higher on Cole Kramer long-term than many other people in this state. Uh, but the reality is he's coming from a 19-10 offense to a Big Ten spread offense. And the terminology and going through the reads and trying to get that quarterback processor up to speed at, at a Big Ten level is going to take some time in terms of Cole Kramer wasn't really asked to read a defense. Cole Kramer was kind of just asked to do some different things, only threw 10 times a game or so. So he's going to have to learn how to read coverages. He's going to have to learn how to read routes, different things like that, and it's going to take a little bit of time for him. But I think that quarterback room is going to be a very interesting one to watch, but I think Zach Gannickstead is probably 60-40 right now to be the starter come the fall. Ryan, outside the quarterback, what other position group has um, the most competition or the best storyline for fans to pay attention to as we head into the spring? I think the couple areas where I'll be watching this spring, um, you know, are on both lines. And what do I mean by that? Well, Minnesota's replacing a couple of offensive linemen. Jared Weiler started every game at center for Minnesota this past year. Daniel Green was a mainstay at left tackle the last two years. He's now chasing his NFL dream. So where does that kind of leave things? Well, I think that means that Monticello's Connor Olson is going to slide to center from guard. That means you're going to be opening up a position for Curtis Dunlap, someone that started the bowl game for Minnesota. Blaze Andrews is going to be starting again for Marshall, Minnesota, and then Daniel Paul Lele. But I think the most important position on the offensive line is that left tackle spot. And that's going to be the first guy who's going to have a shot at that is a junior college kid who redshirted this past season by the name of Jason Dixon. Uh, someone that had to take an academic redshirt. He had to make sure his academics were in order, so he was not in any games last year, but he is eligible to get back on the field here this spring. He was practicing in the fall, but from the reports and the people I talked to, you know, development was a little bit slow from July, August, September, even in October, but then come that October and November, a light switch went on for him and he really started that development. So if it's not Jason Dixon, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Blaze Andrews get a shot at that left tackle position as well. He started left tackle. Uh, for Minnesota in the bowl game, I think he performed pretty well as well. And then the defensive line, I mean, we talked about all the bodies that Minnesota's replacing in that defensive tackle rotation. You don't have Gary Moore anymore. Royal Silver's out of the mix. O.J. Smith's gone. I mean, you're replacing three of your four defensive tackles that rotated in a lot, and that's how you see you know, Keontae Shad come into the mix. Notre Dame defensive tackle graduate transfer, Micah Du Treadway. How does he figure into the mix? Uh, Elijah Teague is also in there. Logan Richter. Uh, someone from Pura, Minnesota, that's finally on campus. He's a big, big kid at six foot four, 310 pounds. But how does he go from playing against what Pura, Minnesota high school football has to offer to the Big Ten? Some different things there. And then I also think the secondary is going to be very interesting because Minnesota finally has some depth. They get Antoine Winfield back. Um, everybody in that kind of defensive backcourt gets another year in the weight room, another year in Joe Rossi's scheme. And I think that there's six, seven, eight guys that could realistically be starting, but you have a lot of competition in there now, which is exactly what you want. You have depth, and competition is exactly what you want. Somebody to be pushing you every single day trying to vie for that spot. So offensive line, defensive line, and the secondary are going to be some interesting battles outside of quarterbacks. 